Hello and welcome to the Becker Spine Orthopedic and Pain Management Driven ASC Plus the Future of Spine virtual event. My name is Anuja Vaidya and I'm an assistant editor with Beckles Healthcare. I'm pleased to be joined by Dr. Timothy Lubinow, Professor of Anesthesiology and Chair of the Pain Medicine Section at Rush University Medical Center. Dr. Lubinow has spent his career at the forefront of the pain management field and is an innovative leader in the space. Before I jump into our questions, Dr. Lubinow, could you please tell us a little bit about your background? Surely. Uh, I'm an anesthesiologist. Uh, I trained at Rush University Medical Center back in the 80s, and um, I've enjoyed working at Rush and living in Chicago, so I have been there ever since. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Dr. Lubinow. I'll jump into my questions now. Um, so first, I thought we could discuss a bit broadly, you know, what are some of the biggest challenges uh, of practicing pain management being in this field today? Well, I think one of the challenges is that uh, getting patients referred to the right uh, pain physician, the interventional pain physician for the services and the types of care that uh, are needed for that interventional pain physician, uh, because interventional pain medicine has really grown quite a bit over the past decade and in terms of the number of treatments that one can do and in particular the weight of the evidence that um, certain treatments work better than others. And so many referring surgeons don't understand this or other referring physicians. And so patients may get referred to a uh, physician, a pain physician who only does the first step of pain treatment. And when that doesn't fail, uh, instead of referring that patient to the uh, other more skilled pain physician who has a uh, full armamentarium of interventional pain procedures uh, at their treatment uh, recommendation, they will continue to stay with that first or primary uh, pain physician and simply repeat the procedures that had not worked before or only worked for a certain short duration of time. And so getting the patients to be um, appropriately referred to the interventional pain physician who can do the treatments that are more effective than um, some of the simple injection therapy is a challenge that we're still trying to uh, work through. Got it. Absolutely. And, and are you finding, you know, now with COVID-19, are you finding that that is exacerbating this existing challenge? And also more broadly, how has the pandemic affected, you know, the pain management arena? Well, it's affected all um, aspects of medicine and it's, um, uh, you know, it transcends a variety of different um, uh, difficulties that we all have as physicians. I think one of the first um, and foremost things is that there's a number of patients who simply either because they've lost their job no longer have health insurance and so they may have been gearing up to get some type of procedure or um, anticipating uh, getting some treatment done but now simply because they no longer have health insurance they may not be able to, to do that or alternatively uh, obviously, numbers of people were out of work, and so now that you're back at work, they don't want to take the time off to recover from some uh, elective procedure. And so it's um, challenging to get those patients back into the door once again because of that. So that uh, is something that um, 
is ubiquitous uh, for all um, physicians, in particular proceduralists who um, do procedures. With uh, other aspects related to pain medicine specifically, patients have grown used to the uh, telemedicine concept and no longer presenting themselves to the office in order to get their opiate prescriptions because of the changes that the DEA made in permitting prescriptions to be, um, uh, opiate prescriptions to be written based upon a uh, telemedicine um, visit. And so patients uh, aren't necessarily um, coming in for their urine drug screens like they ordinarily would or have to. Patients aren't um, uh, always sticking to their same number of medications that they're supposed to be taking. So running out early is something that pain physicians across the board have been seeing. And so uh, it's much more difficult to manage that when patients don't present themselves to the office for their uh, prescription, particularly in a large city uh, where um, you know, there's a greater distance between patient's office and the uh, physician's office. So those are challenges that uh, I think will um, limit to some degree how telemedicine continues to be practiced uh, after this pandemic is over, <clears throat> whenever that should be. Absolutely. And, and you know, kind of tying back into that idea that patients just aren't coming in right now, um, you know, for all the reasons you laid out. I'm curious now that in Chicago, we're seeing some of those cases go down. We're seeing the city open back up. You know, what can healthcare organizations do or what is Rush doing specifically to kind of encourage some of those patients to come back in? So what we're doing at Rush is uh, we're being very... Um, proactive in letting patients know that it's safe to come to the hospital. Uh, I think there's a certain segment of patients that are still um, shut in, if you will. I talk to patients um, uh, via telemedicine or on the telephone, and uh, I'm still surprised by the number of people who still are sheltering at home, even though we've been uh, open for the past several weeks. But this opening has been somewhat of a um, uh, slowly paced opening, uh, according to the governor and uh, the mayor's wishes here. And so it, it creates uh, a certain scenario of concern and perhaps fear for patients that, um, you know, we can only tell in the future whether or not it's um, uh, uh, warranted by whether or not this. Um, uh, has a second relapse or whether or not there is um, a greater increase in, in deaths. So I, I still find patients very concerned and at times fearful about coming back into the hospital for procedures or do they say um, more directly coming into the downtown environment for procedures. Absolutely, there's definitely that hesitancy that will take a little bit of time to lift. Um, but changing tack a little bit now, um, I'd love to look ahead and, um, you know, hear from you what you think the biggest changes will be in pain management in the coming five years. And will this pandemic, um, you know, affect that in any way? Um, you know, if so, in what ways? Well, I hope it doesn't uh, change it. What I foresee in the future is that there is a slow metamorphosis going within the pain medicine community where treatments that have a greater level one evidence 
uh, for providing longer term uh, pain relief are becoming uh, recommended, performed and carried out um, more than what we saw five years ago and certainly 10 and 20 years ago. And so these are different treatments that relate to um, spinal cord stimulation, different forms of spinal stimulation, uh, indirect uh, decompression for people who have uh, lumbar spinal stenosis. And so these types of treatments have emerged within uh, the past several years as having a greater weight of evidence and certainly preferable to simple injection therapy. And so that's somewhat um, kind of on a, a slow um, progressive movement. And uh, I think that's gonna continue. So I'm hoping that the COVID doesn't uh, stop this in its track simply because patients don't have access to care because of their lack of insurance or because they don't uh, wanna take the uh, time off because they're so focused on their uh, job concerns. Are you finding that there's a kind of a halt on the research side of pain management as well? I've, I've seen so many reports about cancer research being halted or you know other, other chronic diseases. I'm curious if you're seeing the same in the, in the pain management field. Well, obviously for this time frame of the um, COVID, everything was halted. Mm -hmm. All elective surgical procedures and in major hospitals like we were in, like I'm in, I should say, um, much of the bulk of um, focus was on providing care for the COVID patients where one half of the patient beds, uh, or perhaps in some cases more than one half of the patient beds were specifically rated, uh, related to taking care of COVID patients. The number of ICU beds had to be expanded. The number of ventilators had to be uh, expanded and accessed. And so at this juncture, the issue of doing uh, research uh, was not just, it was shut down. The people who helped facilitate research, the um, research assistants, uh, these are people that were told, stay home. Mm -hmm. You can't come into the hospital. You cannot consent patients for research procedures. And so there was this, um, you know, absolute halt in um, most medical research unless it dealt with taking care of COVID. That was the, the one exception, obviously. There's been a number of research studies with different uh, drug regimens, for example, um, aimed at the uh, treatment of COVID. And so now we have to reopen this and it is being slowly uh, opened and it parallels the um, slower pace that we see in getting these patients to come to the hospital in general. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. And and do you um, are you afraid that this halt is going to set things back in a really big way, or are you pretty com confident that things will pick up from where they left off? Yeah, I don't see any type of V-shaped recovery happening to medicine. Uh, I think that this is going to be an issue that's going to live with us until everyone is vaccinated. And it's hard to prognosticate when that'll be. It uh, could certainly be two or three years from now before we reach that kind of endpoint on the other side that some others talk about. Uh, I don't think the, uh, the pace of recovery is as uh, rosy as um, some have described. And, and what role do you think technology is going to play, um, you know, in pain management specifically going forward? You know, what, what are some essential um, types of technology that you think will really um, be of value uh, in the years ahead? Well, I think one of the um, 
areas that uh, the COVID thing has um, opened up for us is uh, a greater reliance on utilizing the um, telemedicine use of the internet and use of um, forms that patients would fill out that would help us understand the impact of pain uh, on their lives and the impact of whatever treatments are on. And so in our particular environment, what's that, what that is going to entail is the use of rolling out certain quality measures to see what the improvements in functional scores, uh, for example, um, SF36 um, disability scores, promise scores, uh, and other um, quality measures in terms of the positive impact of different treatments that we've done for patients. And so we'd like to have patients fill these out uh, electronically on a regular every three month basis. So we can track what treatments that we've done um, and how that's uh, demonstrated improvement in their life. Uh, so I think that that's gonna come to be more of a uh, essential part of the evaluation for patients. And we're gonna need the patients uh, to buy in. We're gonna have them be encouraged to uh, in essence fill out these things because it's just another uh, form that you get in your uh, in basket that's gonna necessarily have to spend some time um, being filled out is all part of the care continuum for patients. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And what are some ways you think we can, uh, you know, you can encourage patients to fill those out, kind of keep, keep in touch every three months, like you said? Well, it gets back to the grassroots of um, what um, uh, encourages a positive patient-physician interaction. It's, um, you know, being uh, positive in your interactions with them, have an appropriate, timely response to their uh, questions, if there's uh, issues of increased pain or issues of side effects. Uh, and um, so if you have those essential parts of uh, where a patient feels like they have a physician that's on their side, that is their ally in improving their pain, improving their uh, ability to function, improving their um, quality of life, then that patient will help in their um, care, help participate more in their care and that participation would then require filling out these different um, metrics of uh, improvement in their uh, pain and function. Absolutely, it all comes back to effectively engaging patients. Yes. Um, so we're, we're coming up to closer to the end of our time. So I have one more question for you, um, which is, you know, what are some of the best opportunities you're seeing for practice growth um, you know, in, in the years to come, particularly post-pandemic? Well, I think um, some of the areas that uh, we can um, see improvements is um, different ways to encourage and reach out to patients, utilizing uh, this Zoom concept, webinars for physicians to get into groups of pain, in front of groups of patients, to uh, tell them about treatment options that they may have. That's one particular aspect. In our office, we have a psychologist on staff that helps in the management of a certain percentage of our patients. And so we're utilizing that to a much greater degree where she's able to do the equivalent of Skype therapy sessions for patients so that they don't have to drive downtown and 
deal with the hassle of parking and uh, waiting. And so that's uh, another um, thing that's been um, useful for the uh, psychological aspects of teaching cognitive behavioral pain management tools for uh, part of their um, pain treatment. So th these are all certain things that um, you know can be utilized. Absolutely, absolutely. It'll be very interesting to see growth in all those areas in the future. Uh, well, that is actually all the time that we have for uh, our questions today. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Lubinow. It has been such a pleasure speaking with you, and I look forward to um, continuing our conversation in the future. All right. Well, thank you for having me. I very much appreciate it.